You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Stand bitches. Welcome to the X-Man. I'm Doc Coyle. I'm the X-Man. And by X, I mean people that used to do shit, you know. Motherfuckers been kicked out. Quitters. You know. Unsavory types. I'm one of them. I'm the X-Man. Whatever. I didn't start at first. I said that, you know. I, I, you know, I told my brother, I was like, this is a while back. I was like, I'm the OG quitter. He's like, nope, mm-mm. I did it first. He was right. He was, he did do it first. So I'm, I'm the, I'm the backup quitter. You know, it wasn't, apparently wasn't that original. It's okay. I'm not the first. I won't be the last. Hence, I'll never run out of people to interview. Anyway. As of this episode coming out, some new information has come out. Some new news. New news, not fake news. Mm-mm. You've probably heard that that your boy is in Europe with a little band called Darkest Hour. You hear that? That's the applause. Thank you. Thank you. I'm taking my bows. No. <laughs> Don't mind me. I'm just, you know, listen, sometimes you got to. You got to take time to pat yourself on the back like, mm-hmm. Good job, Doc. No, nah, it's nah, it's actually, the, the truth is, if, if if you wait around long enough, you do enough shit on your own, every now and again, someone will uh, throw, throw, throw a bone your way. So you have to be a hungry dog and, and take the bone and, and, and run with it. Um, but no, no, I... I am so gracious and thankful and excited to to play with a band like Darkest Hour. Old, old friends. Um, a great band. One thing I could say when you play, when you get to play in a band and learn their material, their entire catalog or sections from their entire catalog, you, you, you get a greater appreciation. And they're an incredible band. And it's pretty amazing. And hopefully... You know, the, the people that come see the shows, they were like, well, you know, he's he's not as good looking as Mike Lone Star, but but you know, he's certain is doing he's certainly doing his best and he's not ruining it. You know, that's really what I, I want the Yelp review to be on me being Darkest Hour was You didn't screw up once. You know, that's that's pretty much um what I'm trying to take away from it. But anyway, so that news has come out. That's the band I was alluding to that I was playing with. Um it's just for a, a few weeks here in Europe. And uh, we're going to be playing in the UK. You know, I got some fans there. I got like eight people that know who I am there. Germany, I have one and a half people um, that like me in Germany. And everywhere else, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Um, you know, I'm going to some place I've never been. Poland, I've never been. I'm an eighth Polish. So hopefully they'll give me some love. They'll be like, yo, he got a big head like us. Um, 
you know, which I do. I got a big cranium, so hopefully my Polish people will will enjoy that. And then I'm going to the Czech Republic. Um, obviously, Randy from Lamb of God has some trouble there, so hopefully all goes well. Make it through, make it through that in one one piece. But I like going to places I've never been before, so that's really exciting. Uh, what else is going on? Yeah, actually, this this will be airing after another band I'm in called Bad Wolves, who have released our first video slash single called Learn to Live. And I'm going to play that in a minute. So if you have not seen the video, but you are a podcast fan, you will be able to hear that song. And this project, uh, this band, which is also a project, which is a band, you know, I came into the fold after things had kind of been written and recorded. And this is the band it was. So if you listen to the first episode, I had John Berklin, ex-Devil Driver drummer on the show. And it was called Eye of Tongues at the time. We changed the name to Bad Bad Wolves. Um, if you don't like it, you know what I'm saying? Whatever, you know, eat a dick. I'm sorry. But anyway, the band name changed. and I But I came into the project kind of as things were going and I didn't contribute to it. So if you think it's great, I had nothing to do with it. But if you want to give me credit, that's cool too. You know, the whole key is making it sound dope live. So if I do that, if I make it sound like the record, then you can con- congratulate me. Come to me, slap me on the butt. Good game, doc. And I'm like, you're welcome. Anyway, I'm about to play a song in a minute, but something I wanted to br- bring up. So I had someone within the musical music community, an industry person who I'm not going to name, who is a very good person who I like. So I don't, I, I hope they don't misinterpret this, but, but they, when we, we put out a teaser about the band and they said, I'm confused. And, and I said, you know, that I, I perked up. I was like, confused about what? Cause we dropped a little 20 second teaser and not for nothing, people were feeling that shit, you know? And I was like, okay. And they were confused. I'm like, what, what, why are you confused? And she, and this person was, well, is, isn't Tommy in another band? Is he quitting that band or this? And I'm like. Wait a second. So when Mike Patton joins Dead Cross, um, no one's confused, right? When Max Cavalera joins, you know, puts out that that band with you know the guys from Dillinger and Mastodon, no one's like, oh, what do you? I don't I don't understand this this uh, the strategy. Or when you know all the dudes in Mastodon are in like ten bands. You know, they're all doing projects. They have, they put out a record every every six months. No, there's no confusion. But when people of our stature, and, and, and that stature, you know, I, w- I would say is, is like, I don't know, just known entities who are not currently in something that is really big. And I don't know what that really means. I think in terms of the industry, it's kind of a mixed bag. You know, someone like me, you know, I have certain people's respect, but... Maybe they look look at people like me, myself, or maybe John or Tommy and say, well, you know, they used to be doing something that was something, but now they're this unknown quant- uh, entity or they're, it's difficult to say what they are, you know, because I think a lot of people in the industry, whether they're a manager, whether they're an agent, whether they're part of a record label, at the end of the day, a musician is someone who goes out and earns for them. All right. And I'm going to keep it real right now. All right. They, you earn for them. You go out. So if they're, if they're the drug kingpin, you the motherfucker on the corner slinging rocks. 
okay? And they need you on the corner slinging, all right? And like I said, this is not to disrespect the person that made the comment because I'm not, this is not a reflection of, of what, what, what they are saying. I'm, I'm talking about this industry-wide notion that I have to do one thing, all right? And this is something I'm probably going to write about, but I'm, I want to address it here because guess what? Not everyone's going to read the article, but for the people who listen to this, I do a lot of things and I don't care if it confuses you, to be honest. I'm not here to, to you know, keep you up to, up to date with what I'm working on. I work on different stuff because I want to, because life is too short, because every day could be your fucking last. And I'm going to do everything that I, I want to do because I want to do it. And if nothing uh, uh, is in the way of me doing it, why should I, should I not? Because I'm trying to, you know, put my eggs in this basket. You know, a lot of people, when it comes to Vegas Nerve, people say, well, is it a band or is it a project? I'm like, well, it's a band, but I, are you asking me, is it full time? Are we going to get in the van and and grind it out and try and make it and become rock stars? I'm like, well, it's it's not that yet, but we're not trying to force it to be that. We're kind of just letting things happen. But we are a band. It is a project. I don't, I don't, I don't, you know, I think what happens is when commerce becomes involved and people have to make money off of you, they they have a vested interest in you being very focused on that one thing. Because for them to collect their percentage, you gotta be out there hustling, grinding, you know, for you, but for them. You know, and this goes for labels, this goes for managers, goes for agents. They need, you know, if, if I sign you and give you X amount of money, I need to know you're going to be on the road working to move some units. You know, if you're a band, you know, if you're an agent or, or, or a manager, that percentage, if you're dormant, if you're off doing your other band, that's not the thing I represent. I need you there. And I get that. And that is, and that is not, so, so my, uh, my hesitation or my pushback is not an admonishment of those people. Everyone has their own interests, and that's okay. It's not about villainizing anyone. Um, it's about saying, hey, there's things I want to do. And until, and, and here's the thing. If Metallica was like, hey, Kirk Hammett's out, Doc Coil's in. You know I probably would be doing less side projects, to be honest. And if they said that's part of the deal, hey, you get to be in Metallica, but your little side, you know, your sidestepping has got to quit, I would consider that. But guess what? Nothing I'm doing is that, that demanding. And that's my main thing is that until you have something that uh, takes up all of your time and requires that level of commitment, then why not keep doing things and staying busy. And, and listen, I truly believe that variety is the spice of life and you have to try and, you know, I, I all the, doing the podcast and writing articles and even just doing normal work things, you know, doing a bartending gig or just having, you know, being able to have a foot in all these different worlds. And listen, I've thought about doing stand up comedy or maybe acting or doing things like that. Not because I'm trying to be Louis CK or I'm trying to be Tom Cruise, just just because why the fuck not? Why, why, where is this, you know, you know, do you look at, uh, you know, I look at someone like Ice-T who 
you know, I've, you know, had the pleasure to do some work with recently. And he's still doing his rock, rock metal band body count. He's still touring as Ice-T the rapper. He's going to do a commercial. He's going to be in a movie. He's going to be in a show because he understands he's in the business of himself. And that, and when you are multi-talented and you can do multiple things, why limit yourself? You know, and in some ways I envy these, you know, guitar players because I'm a guitar player, but I guess you could say the same thing for any musician. But these people, these musicians are like, I'm, I'm going to say guitar players just because that's, that's what I know best, who that's all they care about. And they just all day, they're working on their craft and they're fucking amazing. And I envy that. And I consider myself a good guitar player, but I'm not them. Um, and I don't, I don't have that mindset. I, I want to do, I'd rather be pretty good at 50 things than great at one thing. And maybe that's just me. I'll just, it is what it is. But that's the path I've, I've chosen. And I don't care if you're confused. I'm going to do what I want to do. So without further ado, this is the brand new Bad Wolves song. It's called Learn to Live. Check out the video. Go give the band a like on Facebook or on Instagram or on Twitter. And we're going to be doing some stuff. And it's one of the things I do. Um, and you know what? If it takes off, you know, we got platinum records. Hey, maybe everything else will take a back seat. But for now, it's one of the things I do. And I'm glad to do it because I like staying busy. Anyway, <laughs> didn't mean to yell at you guys. I'm sorry. I'm like an abusive husband. I beat you and then I, I apologize right after. I'm, so, I'm sorry. I only, I only yell to you because I love you. See, I hope no one, please don't take that out of context and people think I'm a, a beater of people. I'm, I'm a, I practice peace in all, in all ways. Ask, ask everyone. Anyway, this one's called Learn to Live by Bad Wolves. Check it out.
that shit. Yeah, that shit's pretty good, man. I had nothing to do with it. Nope. Came in all at the last minute. Take all, you know, do none of the work. Take all the credit. That's how to live life, guys. You could be president. Ooh, got political. Yeah, fuck all that. Coming up next, we have my very, very, very special guest, Mr. Ken Kenneth Shulk, ex-drummer of the legendary Candiria, ex-drummer of the equally as legendary Fuel. I know all the Candiria fans and Fuel fans, same people. They love all that shit. No, no, that's that level of diversity as a professional musician is pretty incredible. And Ken is an incredible person, uh, you know, really a, a musician, a, a unique musician. He's one of those guys when you see him play with a band, you immediately start watching him. <laughs> he he has that ability to to kind of steal the show, um, and primarily as a groove drummer, he doesn't actually have to show off to to kind of put a spotlight on on you know the the extremely high level of uh, artistry. I, th- I think he really is an, an artist in the way he plays and he he, he expresses uh, his being through his playing. So yeah, I got to see this guy play when I was 16 years old and it, it changed changed my life forever. And then later on down the line, we signed in the same record label and there was this classic demo uh, or it wasn't a demo, it was a sampler that Century Media Records put out that had one Candiria song on it and the song Broken Promise from the Determination album. Um, and then, you know, we got to play together, uh, in a couple bands out here. So it's, uh, it's amazing to, you know, this show in a, in a lot of ways for me is a, is a way to connect with old friends and ask them questions that maybe I, I'd be a little too shy to ask them in, in regular conversation. So this is a pretty long conversation, but even, even that me and this guy, we, we get together, we mix it up, talk about, you know, goblins and space and the Mandela effects we get, you know, and Jesus and all that stuff. We get pretty deep. This one, we, we stick mostly to music talk. Um, and actually we end up, we recorded it at his drum studio. So it's in a rehearsal space. So you might hear some little sounds in the background every now and again, but, uh, I listen to it. I think it's, you can pretty much ignore it for the most part, but, um, yeah, check it out. This is Mr. Ken Schalk. For this show, I've always made notes for every. I was hoping you'd be prepared, like yeah. a good journalist. <laughs> I didn't, but this time I didn't make notes. No, no. Oh, so we're gonna improv this? No, like, no. But here's here here's why. Which I didn't, is fine by here's, me. Here's here's why I didn't make make notes though. I was actually listening to a Bill Simmons podcast today, and he was talking about how he didn't make notes, and then I was like, you know what? For the people I really know, mm-hmm. I don't really need notes. Right. You know, there's certain there's I understand the arc and. I was like, you know what? This is more of an experiment. So let's see how <laughs> we're going to see how it how how it goes. But no, but my short notice. Well, sure. no, but my, the, my my preparedness was I just went I went to like Candiria Spotify. I just mm-hmm. put it on random. I right. just had like certain tracks come up, and then literally it's a, it's amazing. Like you start listening to it, and then memories mm. start coming up. Right, right, right. And you start hearing. You're like, oh, I remember such and such happened, and this this happened, and it's um, it's a generation ago. At this point, well, to me, it's like a whole 
world ago. Well, that's, yeah. If you go back, like when you look at the way now that I'm officially, and I don't mean me personally, it's meaning like almost like coming a parent and stuff too. It's when you get to a certain age in your life, you officially surpass your past generation yeah. of social everything, famil- uh, family, everything, everything that was part of your generational existence from, say, 15 to 25 starts to then fade into 35. And now that I'm in my 40s, I'm in a whole new generation of existence. <laughs> I'm not, I can't even try and be, to try and be 25 is, is dumb. Like yeah. that's dumb. That's 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 called digression. Yeah. Like we have to be able to accept the fact that we are going to mature and progress in our human form. I think what people do miss out on is the youthfulness of curiosity and always knowing that when you wake up in the morning, there's so much still to learn. Treat yourself like a child in that regard. Yeah. That you're blessed to to learn so much each day as you grow. But that whole trying to like, oh, I'm still, you know, look, I know. I don't deny the fact that I was just watching this 17-year-old kid play drums today. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, I can still do that. But the amount of effort and work that I've had to put into my body and my mindset over the last 20-something years to still do it in my 40s, I hope he's thinking that way. Yeah. Because he's only 17 now. Well, and I of, see the way he's flailing around, and I'm like, he'll be done by 25 if he doesn't get an idea of what he's uh, doing. Well, the interesting thing about you is, from a physicality standpoint, you look pretty much the same. You know, the way you play. Rubbery. I mean, you were probably a little more, like, jacked, I guess, back then. I lost then. weight, and I've lost weight again. I was up to nice 160, 162. I'm sitting at 154 now. Yeah, I'm but, but I'm saying, like, you were probably a little more, quote-unquote, jacked, but... Mm-hmm. In terms of physically, you look athletically similar the way you you play. Like, you've managed to kind of avoid whatever that, you know, I mean, I guess, are you like just like super health conscious or? It's not just health conscious. It's about body efficiency. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's really all it boils down to is just making sure that your motions, it's it's that uh, you're a cattle press fan, right? Band? Yeah, you know the band Cattle Press, Eddie Ortiz, I, Joe Capizio. I don't think so. All right, I'm, I'm, you should listen to their to music and go nuts. Over I know Cattle them. Decapitation. I know of them as well. <laughs> yes, but no, Cattle Press was amazing. But anyway, they had a song called "Relaxed Until the Moment of Impact," mm. and it's a golf philosophy. It's any kind of full swing philosophy. The moment of impact is where all the energy finally releases. And now you have to create a certain level of tension, obviously, to move and create motion. But we don't want to go past that point where Mm. then our efficiency becomes stress. That makes me think about the Bruce Lee, the the with the one inch punch. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I actually had to utilize his concept in the song Work in Progress. Mm. Um, I teach this thing. I say, and not that all drummers don't get it, but there's this. Um, apprehension that drummers have when they try to play rock and they don't see the window. And the window is when you are playing a beat, your hi-hat hand is crossing over your snare drum hand. And a lot of drummers don't realize that when you're playing in a more wristy and looser way, the stick falls back and leaves an open window of space for your snare drum hand to come back more. Mm -hmm. 
so that you could lay more efficient power down into the stroke. Now in this one beat, I just, I was running this hi-hat feel and I had to keep the snare hand kind of underneath the hi-hat hand for the sake of the groove. So I had to utilize the two inch punch concept <laughs> and basically I can't show anybody in an yeah, audio for, podcast. You guys but, aren't seeing it. He's he's doing the mm -hmm. motion of the kind of looseness. Yeah. Well, the, well, that that technique that I saw from you, probably the next time I saw a guy that played similar mm -hmm. to that was Justin, who was in uh, Blood Has Been Shed, who's now in in Killswitch. Like to me, he seemed Justin from Red Tide. Red Tide. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's how I met Justin in Red Tide, and wow. we played shows with Red Tide. Taking yeah. it, taking it back. Well, I didn't, I didn't know him when he was in when he was in Red mm -hmm. Red Tide, but he kind of just the, the ergonomic and the that wrist technique and yeah. the, the impact and and also the kind of the almost compression. Mm -hmm. Like think about how you you, you compress a, a a sound, but to have the solidity of hits so that mm -hmm. when you're playing slow and you're playing fast, it's even. So to essentially make your sound guy's job really easy. <laughs> exactly. And, exactly. and um, you know, so I, I remember seeing that and then from the rock perspective, coming out here and getting to see um, Josh Freeze mm. play live. And also when I went, because in, through the uh, Mass Mental gig, which you mm. brought me into, yeah, I got to jam with them Without you, with Brooks. That's right. And he had a similar. Brooks is a very loose player. Technique. Him and his brother Chad. I don't. I don't know about who. Chad so... Wackerman is like. I found out about Brooks through Chad. When I got into Chad Wackerman, Brooks was a little young kid, mm -hmm. just starting to get into his teenage years, and he was coming up as a little young drummer. But you know, and then he got into the rock side of it. But mm -hmm. I got into Chad. And they all come from their dad, apparently, who I haven't ever really gotten into. I don't know much about their dad. But there's a Wackerman Sr., apparently, <laughs> that's uh, brought it all into perspective. Well, how, how did you get into playing? Because I, I feel like, in many ways, the you know I came into you guys through WSOU. Through, oh, right. Through the... Uh, well, whatever, mm. whatever they're they're So WSU, for those who don't know, is a radio station in New Jersey. It's Seton Hall, which is a, a Catholic college. Locally famous. Yeah. Tri-state famous. <laughs> and back in the day, before the internet, essentially, they were, because their reach essentially went from central New Jersey all the way to New York, you know? Um, and if you think about that radius, you're talking of tens of millions of people. Mm -hmm. So you could, you had bands like Slipknot, Disturbed, Linkin Park, and little bands like ours, mm -hmm. like God Forbidden Candiria, that were able to break out in the tri-state area. Totally. Just from that one radio station playing extreme music. So it was, it was really awesome. And they had the death metal show. What was, what was it, Monday Night Mayhem or... Something like that. I forget oh, what. Oh man, I forget what it was. They called. had a lot of really cool programming that they were able to slip in there that made it possible for bands like us to get integrated. Yeah. But, into saying, but the they were playing songs from Surreal Madness. Uh, oh my goodness, that's a long time but, ago. But but no, but it's it's funny because I perceived you guys as a death metal band. Wish we were. Yeah. I mean, you know, look when Candiria first started, they were coming from heavy metal roots. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I was playing with a few different artists. Uh, the particular band I was with was like, it's kind of like a Chili Peppers, Faith No More-ish style type band going in that range, because this is early 90s. So that was yeah. kind of getting hot. 
And um, I walked out of a, a, a rehearsal and saw their flyer on the wall. They said technical death metal band. Their first few songs so was, were an who, attempt at who technical. Who was in the band at this point? It was um, it was Eric, Carly, um, and Chris Puma, the original guitarist who's yeah. on uh, the first two albums. And uh, they had another drummer named Kenny. And at the time, just a bass player that was kind of playing with them. His name was Matt Halt. Um, oh. The name sounds really familiar. It does sound familiar, but it's not. There's, there's, a, another, there's actually another a Matt Holt. Holt that has actually risen out okay. of the last few decades. But this is an old, this is a long time ago. Dreadlock hippie dude. Um, excuse me. We got the fat tire up in here. so That's you know. right. This is the first X-Men where there are, are beers featured. Is it? I really? I believe so. Wow. Let's cheers so. to that, usually, man. That's kind of cool. Usually it's coffee. Coffee, but, ah, which wouldn't have been bad either. No, I, I actually, what I, what I did was I kind of did a little performance enhancing cocktail. So I do the, mm. I have the caffeine before the conversation. Right. And then you just have a beer to mellow out. There it's you okay. Go. There you go. It's there okay. You go. But this is, you know, this is a friendly beer. Um, Ken is someone I consider to be an old friend and. Every now and again, we like For to have, real. have a beer and catch up. So that's, a, that's true. Th- this is this really this is, is more of a catch up than well, a podcast. No, it's been a few months. Well, no, no, but me and you are one of those people. Where we'll, we'll like we'll have a rehearsal or like a studio session, and then we'll sit and talk about life for two hours yeah that's true that's <laughs> we'll get, true we, we, we were hanging deep. last time yeah we yeah get deep um and maybe we'll get deep today we'll, we'll see but this this is deep because there's i think a lot of times you know you're one of those the few people where i was a fan of your band and then we kind of became um peers mm-hmm. and then we started playing together but when you're a fan of someone like that never really goes away mm. but at the same time you don't always feel comfortable like interviewing them, like so. What happened on this album, and what, what you know? It, it's a little weird. It it, it kind of dilutes the, um, the the comfortable nature of things when you feel like someone puts you in another realm. You I know? think that depends, though. On the, uh, I think that's why, if you look throughout history, why certain people did interviews in the band, and certain people yeah. in the band never went near a microphone. You know, for many different reasons. Um, one thing I could say is the one reason to keep me away from the microphone is I could definitely be long-winded. <laughs> but outside of that, and in an independent experience like this, I'm I'm game for all questions. I appreciate conversation. I think that it's, my goodness, I mean, that's that's what we're here for. That's what divides us from every other life existence. Every other life existence has to rely upon other forms of minimal communication. We're lucky to have this complex form of communication that if we put the work in through our lives, we could get really good at it well, and do it rather <laughs> easy, efficiently, and get along together. You know, we do. We yeah. do, we seem to do pretty good with it. Well, the thing is with communication is words and also physical, um, you know, body language mm. is essentially it's symbolism for things we're thinking. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. So, in a way, all this language is just, hey, I'm trying to get you to read my mind. In a way, you know, it's almost like (laughs) with my perspective that everything that I don't look at art as a specific um, endeavor. I look at it as a way of doing something. 
So to me, you can be artistic the way you communicate. Yeah. You could be an artist of communication. So I think that that's the key, especially in the old days where a publicist or a record label was trying to find their guy to get on the mic. They were looking for the one that could, you know, put the mojo down right. Well, well I think you don't you know, want to waste time. You don't want to definitely make anyone look foolish or wrong or out of place. You know, it's it's a strategic arena when you get on that mic because those words get down and then they get out. Yeah. And once they're out, they could get twisted in so many ways. I mean, especially these days, it's just ridiculous. You could just misquote anything you want. Well, Sample I, it, drop it in an EDM <laughs> track, and it's a hit, you know, whatever. Well, I think a lot of that is just the charisma factor, right? I was, uh, there was this documentary, I think it's on Hulu. I'm going to make a drop for that. Sample it, drop it in an EDM track. And oh. then that's the drop quote right there. <laughs> you let me know. I will, I will email this to you, and you can, you can do that. No, but there's a documentary, Eight Days a Week, about the Beatles touring years. Mm. And one thing about them that I noticed, and it's part of the reason why they, I think they were who they were, was they were so good at the banter and just being charismatic yes. and being personalities. Yep. And they were able to, to, like the press would say something kind of disrespectful and they were able to throw it back at them mm -hmm. in a really witty way. They, oh, were, yeah. they had a very dry, you know, very um, sarcastic humor. Big time. You know, and especially, I think that's rare considering how, how young they were. And but they were English. Yeah. The English, um, and this is not a stereotype, this is just the nature of what Americans don't realize about cultures around the world, is that they're raised to be much more honest. Yeah. Um, their cordiality, if needed to be compromised, gets compromised into wit and sarcasm, not anger. Yeah. It's 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 tougher to anger someone around the world as opposed to an American. I think Americans anger easier than people around the world. Um, you think not that's to get taking? Into, you think it's taking? This is personal experience. I've been around enough for the like enough segments of the world mm -hmm. to experience social culture to see that. I think that it's probably more due to the fact that their cultures are way more seasoned. Mm -hmm. Our culture right now, just at its best, is at 230, some, 250 years old about, you know. So we're young. We're young. We're a young culture. So we're still what you would consider toddler-esque, you know. We have to get through this whole fuck you. Well, we're, we're young but, but prolific. Wah, wah stage. Well, that's the whole beauty of being young, <laughs> is that your mind is on fire for knowledge and expression and experimentation. I have children and it's a, I can't, you know, and, and I'm thankful for the way I was raised. When you allow a child, look, you got to discipline a child when they're out of line. But when a child is starting to reveal the gifts that they have to be able to then have purpose in life, bam, you, you got to get on that right away mm -hmm. in, a, in, in sometimes a, a hard way to help them realize that, yo, you're not a little baby anymore. You're, you got to put purpose to this stuff now but also in a way that's that's nurturing and encouraging as well that makes them realize that this is power. This is humble power. This is the ability to be someone that could do great things for other people in the world. So was your creative uh, freedom nurtured? Is that how you, is that, is that the beginning of, of the story? It was nurtured before I even knew I had to have it nurtured. Mm -hmm. I was very lucky in the sense that both my parents love music, love art. I was born into a very artistic genetic makeup. Mm -hmm. um, 
it's just a matter of you know athleticism too so that's that's what made that easy to incorporate into what i do um not everybody is like that and there's nothing wrong with that either you know can i do so many other things that so many people are great at no i can't you know we we're all i believe you know it's like it's a puzzle it's like if you want to be the corner piece but you're the middle you know what are you going to do are you really going to like shave your sides off and become this fake corner piece no just be the middle piece in the puzzle mm-hmm. it's okay so you play like a bunch of instruments right i do so i more I w- for necessity as a songwriter i was yeah. like all right i got to learn this instrument so i know what to, you know i can understand it well i i, I remember so all right so Candiria for me personally and mm-hmm. the band god forbid was super pivotal in that you guys headlined the first hardcore show we ever went to where was that that was at manville elks lodge <laughs> i believe it was that was when beyond reasonable doubt came out i believe so yes but i think we, it was we, 97 we, we, we were flipping out we sold like 60 or 70 cds that day it was yeah but there was like what there was probably like three or four hundred people or 500 something like it that. it was packed out it nice was, and it was a uh, dude the energy was great jersey yeah. was always a great place to play. yeah that was so that was our introduction you know i was still in high school and we had good sou promo at no that so time. that's that's the thing is we knew about the show because we met that the band for the love of who was direct support okay for you guys and but because we had you know we were already fans of you guys i was like oh candiria is playing like oh never seen them mm-hmm. and you guys didn't have a bass player. No, not yet. And so <laughs> what What was about b- behind the decision to say, all right, we don't have a bass player? Because didn't you play bass on the records? Is that is Me that and true? Eric split okay. the task, um, basically going back to the Matt Holt guy. Yeah. He was our first bass player, and he made it. Like We, we basically formed Candiria in February 1992, and by the summer he was gone. And not in a way like you know just disappear or not in a way like this guy sucks he was actually really we used to call him the orange bass player because we were like this cold death metal band and he'd be like <laughs> like playing all like he's a butler bass lines under death metal but he was great and he went off and he went back to you know music that he's more into and mm-hmm. i don't know where he is now but he he did his thing he so what is leave. the first actual candiria release well, th- he was on that. That was what um, is it, it was, it's called? a two-song cassette demo. Um, Does it have a name? I I don't know if we gave it a name. Yeah, we called it Inverted Kingdom. Is it? Anywhere? I was not a Satanist, but um, <laughs> a couple of the other guys in the band were definitely entertaining those realms of uh, entertainment. In a in a in a real they were way, entertaining or, or, those realms of fan- entertainment. There's some in a real way or not fantasy, fantasy, in a fantasy way. Uh, well, they took it to a couple of levels where they were like, this, this is, this is crazy. Like (laughs) things happened. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm not going to get into that. That, That's a deep discussion. That's a podcast (laughs) for another podcast station. Um, but let's just say that, um, the lyrical content changed after a few years, but you know, it, it ran its course. There was definitely, um, a uh, a disdain, a, ma- a bad taste on the tongues of some. Okay. For Jesus Cristo, I guess. I, I, I have a difficult time picturing uh, Satanist Carly Coma. That's well. Carly is a is a converted man now. He's a he's a loyal Christian man, and um, 
it, I always find it interesting that there's something that, that they say about Christianity that you can't deny the Holy Ghost. And there's a line, the opening line of uh, Purity Condemned is is that exact line, him saying that. What, what album is that from? <clears throat> it's from our subliminal demo in okay. 1994. And it actually, when we tracked it, the engineer, I don't know if he messed up or we had done a, a punch or something, but the word I got cut out. So it just says, deny the Holy Ghost. So Carly was never able to actually document himself saying it. So in his defense, you know, he's 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 got his Christian path all equaled out for him and everything. But there's no doubt that him and Chris Puma were the two main guys that really were trying to entertain that aspect of mm-hmm. Carly. Carly, you know, I don't want to expose other people's per- personal lives, but back then those two guys they had this need to experiment with it i don't know the personal decisions why yeah i came into the you know i came into that band like as a as a startup pothead i had just started smoking weed <laughs> a startup <laughs> yeah i had just started and like i was like like i was like yo i love weed so much that i don't even need to drink anymore yeah like cuz alcohol like drinking beer was like that is, stinks. Is I was weed, never a big drinker to begin with, so weed was just like this is the bomb, because it, it. I'm a I'm a I'm a maniac. I'm insomniac. I'm crazy. So weed was like, hey, whoa! I'm like two steps to normal now. You know, yeah. this isn't too bad. Well, it it almost seems like you know me. I'm that could not, be a band name. Two steps to normal. <laughs> Maybe I don't know. I got to put that in my band name. I'll, list. I'll think about it. No, but with you, it almost seems like. Emo meets gent. There's kind of like this spiritual triumvirate between playing drums, weed, and just spirituality. Golf, Go- too. And golf. <laughs> well, I guess golf, golf is the fourth, maybe. It's, 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 it's a quartet. But I mean, just in relation to seeing you play, like, cause it, you know, I know you smoke weed, and it seems like it puts you in this place. Like, I remember Corey from God Forbid told a story about you, him, and Chris Penny from Dillinger uh-huh. jamming in a room. And smoking a bunch of weed. Chris Penny never smoked weed. Well, maybe he didn't smoke weed, but maybe you and I'm sure me and Corey got Corey down. Did. But yeah. he was just he was just talking about how or and I've seen it, you know, getting to play with you now of Which is awesome. This kind of it is it is awesome. Um of this kind of meditation or a I don't know, like you have this, I think, uh, Im- improvisational ability to let go. And just kind of ah, be the be, jumping off the cliff principle. Be within the the instrument and 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 just express yourself in mm-hmm. a very clean and clear way. The more you jump off the cliff, the easier it becomes to fly. It's yeah. that simple, bro. It's it music. It, you have two choices when you're growing up. You could become like a player, or you become a musician. Now. When you get into the musician realms, you you dip into two subcategories from what's there. What's better? Oh, there is no better. There's yeah. exactly what suits you. Dude, some people can't write a song to save their life. Stick a million dollars in front of them, stick a gun to their head. They can't write a song. They just that's they don't do it. Yeah. So they get amazing at their instrument. You tell them what to do and they do shit that you can't. <laughs> There's those people. Let them be them, you know? <laughs> That's true. They're in orchestras. They travel the world. They're like session gods. They're professionals. You know? Yeah. I mean, those are players, you know, and let them be what they are. That's what they're into. They they gravitate to that. 
But then there's people who actually, you know, then you've got your extreme cases like, and this is no disrespect to Kurt Cobain right now. <clears throat> I think there's a difference between how people perceive genius. People don't realize, I told this to, uh, I don't know if you know who Gordon Conrad is. He used to work for Relapse Records. He worked for oh, yeah, MIA yeah, yeah. Records yeah, when I know we were signed with yeah. him. <clears throat> and we used to joke, I, I was, I'm a real sarcastic and self-hitting person. I think it's important to be confident, but I think it's important to be equally humble with oh, your yeah. confidence. Um, but I used to joke around at the office in MIA and call myself a genius because I would like do some graphic design there and stuff. And me and Jack Ball. MIA was the old record label. Oh, uh, that uh, process of self-development came yeah. out on. Yeah. And, um, and I told Gordon once, I was like, listen, bro, that ain't no brag. In order to be a genius, you got to be equally retarded. So don't worry about it. You know? Yeah, it's, it's the, <laughs> that ain't no brag. It's the kind of um, that dichotomy be between that being brilliant at this one thing. Exactly. Then... When John LaMacchia first joined Candiria, he would get upset at band rehearsals because he didn't realize that he was, you know... Eventually, he started smoking a little herb, too. Not much, but when he first came in, he was he thought, like, Candiria, these guys are technically crazy. They must just, like, rehearse and rehearse. And he walks in, and it's like me, Carly, and Eric just hanging out, smoking pot, shooting the shit, <laughs> taking, like, 45 minutes or so to finally start playing. He was like, he finally gave in and realized that's the Candiria vibe. We, we're, we're a chill band. But, you know, I think it's it's... It goes back to the thing like I was saying, like some people, they really want to get to work and they don't have enough creative. And this is not disrespectful. Everybody has a purpose. But people who lack creativity, they excel in methodology and activity. So you got to keep them busy. Um, I look at myself as one of the unfortunate few to those who are normal. You don't want to be me. I'm like both combined. I'm like, keep me busy all day long. And I'm like going into all different worlds trying to create at the same time. So it's it's a pretty intense mindset to be in. That's why I'm in. I'm an insomniac and everything else. You know, some nights I'll get four to six hours sleep. And then other nights, like last night, I went to bed at almost five and woke up at 630. Jumped can, out and, and you woke up survive. my kids. Yeah, because I wish I was because like you. that you see, but this is the thing, bro. And as much as you're not me, I'm not you. Yeah, you don't want to have that because if you tried to incorporate that, it would ruin all the beautiful things you're able to do. If I tried to like rest too much, it would ruin me. It would actually drive me crazy. Mm -hmm. Like when like it's funny. There's times where I'm like. When my kids were babies and I had to just sit around and kind of watch them at times, like I'd start to like feel it. Feel what? The the physical tension in my body. I'm a physically active person. If I don't do a certain amount of physical activity every day, I'm like a German shepherd. You go crazy. Yeah, I'll start running around in circles in my head and whatever, being like, yo, <laughs> I gotta get this out and run around the block or something. <laughs> I wonder how many drummers are like that. They, well, here's the thing, too. Now, drumming can span a big dynamic range. So, you know, you could be that jazz cafe guy that gets to chill. Yeah, but guess what? You're still hitting things. Like, there's something, there's something, like, there's nothing. But it's, in... it's, you can be light enough to yeah. be chill. Well, I guess what I'm saying is condense. that there's something in some people that says, 
I need to hit things. I need to oh, make. Yeah. I need to make impact with my body Absolutely. in a rhythmic way. I I don't have that. There's nothing like I love the air drumming, mm-hmm. but there's nothing about me as like I need to get behind the kit and mm. lay down a groove. Like I, I'm. You see me behind the kit. It is embarrassing. It is. It's not for anybody. <laughs> Dude, I've seen so many guitarists get behind the kit. And the first thing they do is they start laughing, even though they're actually doing some good stuff. I'm yeah. like, yo, your meter's good. You're throwing down, hey, uh, like a non-basic beat. You're like, you know who was a really great drummer, a little behind-the-scenes drummer? Eric from yeah. Candiria. That dude had good pocket. He'd he'd try to do the whole... Put the little, the little trickety-doo-dah hi-hat stuff in there. And he'd lose his meter at time to time, but he was into it, man. He had deep pocket. You could see the way Eric used to move on stage. He had that deep pocket. Well, you guys, that was that was one of the things that was real evident right out the gate, that even though it was the quote-unquote hardcore scene, and how mm. you guys ended up in the hardcore scene, I think is, I don't really know that. I can story. tell you that story. Carly, right. Carly described it great at a band rehearsal one day because we were all talking about that, like how we were transitioning on Beyond Reasonable Doubt, we were starting to transition out of the death metal shows and we had met Ralphie Boy and Met signed us, you know, Jeff Dees. And all this stuff was happening that was transitioning us into a more hardcore community. And Carly, we were at band rehearsal, he's like, this is, this is what's happening, bro. And he walks out of the room and he opens the door and he like peeks his head in and he's like, yo, is this the hardcore room? <laughs> yo, what's up, we're Candiri, we're gonna, we're gonna sneak in here. Cause that's kind of what happened. like. We all love groove and everything. Like I think the initial concepts of Candiria were, uh, what's a good way of putting it? Um, I guess um, mm, premature in the sense because I don't think all five of us knew what we all really loved together. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there was more of this intent to be a technical death metal band in its initial stage. But as we all got to know each other and get to appreciate each other's musical tastes and diversity, we were like, excuse me, we were all like, hmm, interesting. And the song structures changed. If you listen to Subliminal, Subliminal still has a real heavy death metal sound to it but the technicality and strangeness and experimentation is starting to work its way in more um that's our four song demo mm-hmm. in 1994. is any of this stuff available like stuff like that is that like in the art like- somebody put subliminal on youtube which is awesome so if you want to check it out on youtube candiria subliminal it's a four song demo i don't know if the instrumental is there which would make it five songs um but I have when, it somewhere. I could even pop it up somewhere. Too. So the one thing I think I could say, and anyone who's on the outside looking in could say, and I think this is something amazing about you guys, is that Kandiri was truly an original sounding band. There was nothing, I can't point to something that happened before mm-hmm. that sounded like that. And maybe there's some, you know. We I'm, thought we were better than Fear Factory, but to be honest with you, and this is no disrespect back at our own band, Kandiria. The problem with Candiria, and we even sensed it even when we were on MIA, and we thought that Mathematics was a radio song. <laughs> and we, you know, it was just, we started to slowly realize, and even Mike Barilli, our longtime producer on all those early albums, said, he goes, listen, you guys, um, just quickly back to Fear Factory. Fear Factory was doing an innovative thing yeah. in 1993, 1994. Of course, But yeah. they were doing it with a format 
so that people could latch on to it. So now back to Mike Barilli's comment. He goes, you're like the scientist who invented the really awesome thing that everyone likes, but then you went to try and explain it in your scientific way to people and they all didn't like it anymore. Yeah. Because you didn't have that guy to explain it in the simple way. Well, I think the, <laughs> one of the main elements... You know, and I think you and that know, was a big, profound wake-up call to me. To be quite honest, I wouldn't say that's what changed Candiria's sound. That comment, but I think overall there was always this subconscious, underlying thought. I mean, just to hit on the fact that, like, one of the misconceptions of a lot of fans is that, excuse me, Carly's singing was some kind of fearful endeavor or maybe some kind of like commercial sellout. And not to get too Maynardy, but I've always believed what Maynard believes. If you want to make art for yourself, make art for yourself. As soon as you want somebody else to hear your shit, you're selling it out. Yeah. You're making someone else give an opinion of it. That means you're not really considering it your art anymore. You're considering it a source of entertainment or possibly even healing. See, Carly and I were lucky enough to sit in our van and be told by an actual human being that we saved their lives, that our band with a couple of others helped him from actually committing suicide. Mm -hmm. When you're told that, your perspective of what music means is totally different then. And I'm not crying now, but there's times I talk about this story where I do cry because it's so profound. You saved someone's life through what you did. That's intense. Yeah, and I've, there's I, nothing I think more rewarding than that. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, and I've heard stories like that, mm -hmm. and I think any any of us are lucky to be in a band that had a certain amount of impact. Mm. Um, you know, you 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 hear those stories. For me, it's very difficult to actually. I can hear the words and hear the story. It's very difficult for me to actually understand because you know it'll probably happen to you, but some you'll run into someone and they'll tell you how much what you did means to them. Mm. And it's like, I feel it in the moment, but I have a difficult time actually understand, fully empathizing, I guess, with it, because I don't know, it's almost like you don't want that responsibility. Well, that's what happened to me. You know, one of the things I, I realized, like, you know, off the mic before when we were starting to get into this discussion about where we lie as musicians in the social media realm and... I remember when Candiria had our forum, what made that forum amazing was the fact that it was a society of people with, with, a, with, a, with a general likeness, not just Candiria. Candiria was the main likeness that brought us to the forum, but then it became music, art, and fashion, cooking, everything. You know, all that we see now in social media platforms was existing in this forum. So I look at my life on social media now as like an expansion of what that Candiria forum was like back then. Yeah. It's an ability and an opportunity. It's, it's the ability is the technical ability to be online and have this connectivity. But the opportunity is there for us as human beings to connect on a human level. It doesn't matter that, you know, you play guitar and I play drums. What matters is that you and I are human beings who have an existence and a daily type of routine mixed with a daily type of spontaneous, unpredictable flow of events. 
And every human being has that. Mm -hmm. We have that that wake up call in the morning that says these are the things I want to do. And then we have that other wake up call that happens all throughout the day. We get many of those wake up calls, which is this wasn't supposed to happen. Wake up call. Yeah. And we have to wake up and we got to react. And I think when we live our life in a way that's able to respond to these things more appropriately and, and more efficiently as artists, then we can apply that mm-hmm. into our music and be more efficient, more appropriate. Well, one of the interesting things I think about those early, because to me, I think there's definitively chapters of that band. It's Candiria is a life band. Yeah. That's, I, in the early days, what's your influence? Life. Yeah. That's what I'm trying well, to get well, at. You well, know? no, it's but, like, but it's I, a big thing for but us. But I'm saying, but if you look at the, you know, to me, the early days, before, probably even before like you guys signed with Central Media and that whole realm, when you were more, I guess, perceived as a East Coast, Northeast, New York. Mm. Like to me, if you look about what you guys did, it was you had death metal in there, you had hardcore, you mm. had this groove thing, you had hip hop, you had jazz. To me, it, it embodied what New York was about urban at, the, fusion. at the time. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's, you know, that's what we came up with: urban fusion. That's, yeah, that's, that's stuff you you can only make music like that when you're in a place that all that stuff is is melting into you. Do you think, so I had this idea, or maybe it's just a uh, something I, I noticed about a lot of, to me, a lot of the bands that came mm-hmm. out of the area, and I think whether it's Anthrax, whether mm-hmm. it's Life of Agony, okay, whether it's Biohazard, whether it's E-Town Concrete, whether it's God Forbid, there was this groove thing that existed within the heavy bands around that, and Sometimes it translated globally or nationally, but sometimes some of those bands, I felt like it didn't translate. People didn't get it, quite get it outside of that area. Hmm. You know, I look at a band like E-Town Concrete Mm -hmm. that was huge in New Jersey, New York, and Philly, Mm -hmm. and they went around the country, and I'm sure they had some success, but it didn't necessarily translate. It was too East Coast. Yeah, but even I think Candiria, there was something where was it too much of the space and that lifestyle and that thing? I, I think the only thing that gave Candiria, we, Candiria only got nationally, internationally a few notches up. I think more because I think there was a lot, you know, Candiria was a, a very strange band I, I, in terms of its business timeline. I think we, you know, I'm, I'm, I could only speak, you know, off my own tongue here. And this is my own opinion of our business timeline. I think we made a lot of very foolish decisions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think, to use the word bad means, you know, now you're you're looking into the realms of stupid, which means you already knew what was right and you chose yeah, to Yeah, it's choose, ignorance. Hey, right. You can't, this is, no, it's no, this ignorance is, is no one's There fault. was a combination of ignorance and not enough knowledge. So it's foolishness and ignorance combined in yeah. a lot of our decisions. But what young band doesn't have a series yeah, of Yeah, but of then there were some decisions? there were some de- sorry, there then then I think there were some decisions that even though I would still put them in the realms of foolishness. Man, I don't know, looking back I'm like I think maybe we should have had a little more of an open eye towards that moment right there. Yeah. I don't think we had to to be like that. 
-hmm. but then again, this is my future self saying that. So learn and learn and learn as you go. You know, I mean, that's, I think that's what's, I think that's what can be damaging to people in life if they're not careful is that they'll evaluate their life against what was supposed to be as opposed to valuing their life over what really has supposed happened. to means means nothing to me exactly i mean look my it's like I an can, alternate can i reality there is nothing to complain about on the candiria timeline i mean whether or not certain decisions may have yielded shorter spurts of success or shorter spurts of certain um areas like for example one year on century media could have potentially been more but just the decisions we made led us away from them Hey you, do you have any plans this year? <laughs> How's that going? Do you get 2020? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020, where myself, Benny Goodman, and my good friends, Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're gonna get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at 2020-D.com, soundtalentmedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like. What's up, everyone? This is Jay Reason, and I want to let you all know that Diablo Zen Podcast is now part of the Sound Talent Media family. Listen in as me and the one and only Danny Diablo, a.k.a. Lord Ezek, interview artists from the hardcore punk, metal, hip-hop scenes, and beyond. We have conversations with guests like actor Peter Green, DJ Muggs from Cypress Hill, L.A. street photographer Estevan Oriel, Jimmy G from New York City's legendary Murphy's Law, and pro wrestler Vampiro, to name a few. If you're a fan of good discussions and lots of laughs, tune in and join the fun. Can I deny that that year on Century Media was amazing? Never. I could never deny yeah, it. I to mean, be honest, my favorite time in Candiria was touring with the Century Media team. They were so supportive of us. Yeah. They believed in us. They pushed us out there. They kept us busy with our with our booking agent. And they supported us through these tours. And at the time when we jumped to move to another opportunity, I'm not saying that opportunity was bad in its initial state, but, you know, in hindsight, it's like, man, you know, if we would have ran another two, three albums with Century Media, who knows, you know? But who who wants to sit here and do that? Oh, what could have been? Look, well, we got rammed over by a, a, that's an 18-wheeler. Yeah, so but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah but, that but, takes a whole other change but what into it, what is interesting to me, I think, about sometimes doing those thought experiments is not necessarily woulda, coulda, shoulda. Right. But I'm, like, what fascinates me is... I like that thought experiment. Listen... A lot of this stuff is is just thought experiments because, like I said, we cannot go back and change the past. God, but what no. we can do is reflect on it. Absolutely. And, 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 and there's insights that I wasn't there for, so that's why you're here, so I can ask you. Mm-hmm. To me, I remember seeing you guys. You were on tour with 40 Below Summer. 
That was when we crashed. Exactly, right? So I saw the show at Birch Hill, mm-hmm. and it might have been the best I've ever seen you guys. We were primed right there. Yeah. yeah, we and, were pretty primed. And w- was there some, uh, I think, a sense, or I'm asking you, is was there a sense of the trajectory, like pre-accident, that the band was going to, was in a certain way? Like, did you feel, oh, like, what was the level of confidence or kind of... Dude, I could sit here, right? I could literally, if I was a different person, be a really cold-hearted, resentful prick. Of course. Because of where the level of tightness, readiness, and professionalism that band was at at that point. Like I said, we had all of 2001 running that century media game they kept us nice and busy we were we were running it then we did that following through into early 2002 and then we did that sign on with lakeshore and we did our own headlining tour over the summer of 2002 which blew my mind dude because you know i'm a perspective guy you know i find simple logics and then find joy out of how that logic plays out. If it plays out to the positive side, you have no right to find resentment or anger. How did that that. tour go? It was amazing as far as I'm concerned because when I looked at sound scan figures and compared them to the audience numbers, I was like, I can't believe this many people turned out. This is amazing. Yeah. You know, we were pulling if you if you do the whole tour average back then, that that summer headline tour probably would have averaged between two and four hundred a night. That's good. And I'm not saying we had we didn't have nights less. You yeah. know, for example, like our sound scan numbers in New Orleans was like 20 or 30, but there was almost 150, 175 people at the show. Yeah. So it was like, you know, when I see things like that and and not that I'm like some kind of like super brain head like type of numbers guy, but the, I think there's certain stats you can use to create good mental perspective. Yeah, well, you I, know, well, if you get out on stage, for example, and you see 130 people, right, and you say to yourself, "Man, there's nobody here." No, there's not. There's 130 people. Right, right. but <laughs> if but if you say, "Well, how many records have we sold in this city for the album we're out to support?" and it says 20 to 30, and you're like, "Wait a second, so there's more people here than the city has sold albums." So that has a lot to say about really what's happening and i think a lot of what um a lot of what commercial music doesn't realize in the underground levels of music is that street is everything you know commercial numbers what they find i mean what i find about commercial numbers is that they create a good gauge for how much more the street is involved in your scene yeah, but I, 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 listen, I think certain numbers mean certain things and they mean different things for different artists. Mm-hmm. I think what we were dealing with and we were kind of in a similar boat, but not the same boat as you guys in that we were coming from this DIY hardcore scene but thing. you guys were smart you stayed on century media you well, let them develop no, you, and you guys got to a really good point well, no, you guys no. you guys got ahead of candiria not and yeah. i mean we had the accident which blew us out but you you were smart i think one thing that candiria made a foolish decision on is that and and again i'm speaking from my own self but in hindsight that thought of like the multi-album deal at that time, actually would have been a smart decision. 
that that label would have put a lot into us yeah. over the course of five six years. That was the best that time by two thousand six two thousand seven. Candiria would have been a heavy metal household name through Century Media. That 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 was I believe that was our biggest foolish our biggest foolish decision well, was and, and leaving Century Media. In a lot of ways, you guys were using the leverage of the fact that you had kind of built a career already, and you were in that position where you could negotiate a one record deal we weren't we signed a three yeah, record but deal they wanted us to really settle with them yeah. and do more because we jumped in on them at a time that was steve joe right yeah and we were steve not joe. like and this is no disrespect to god forbid but you guys your sound and writing was way more applicable to the century media sound than candiria so without realizing it, that's what I'm looking at. I'm like, you know, that with this thought experiment, if you will, going on. And, you know, I look back and I'm like, this was a label that was trying to take a standout band and put an investment into. Yeah. And we didn't see that. And I think, you know. Or, did, all, or did you just not, did you just take it for granted? No, we didn't see it. Because we got blindsided by that Lakeshore deal and we saw... It was just a lot of money? It wasn't just money. It was the opportunity to start our own imprint. Gotcha. Well, I mean, you were... Which was a goal of ours. Yeah, you were thinking so, in an entrepreneurial fashion. Yeah, which was great. But then again, you never want to open a business prematurely. And, and I think that, you know, it's it's good to start a business with a better reputation. So in essence, I think... It was a premature decision. Good idea, decided upon a little too early. Yeah, We got well, a little excited in our boots. You well, know? I'll give you a couple of my theories, all right? I think the one theory mm -hmm. is the being too early theory, that progressive music, mm. progressive heavy music, took foothold in a way that became profitable probably about six to eight years after kind of the peak of Candiria. And I, I think if you look at the, you know, think about it. Mm. When we were coming up, you guys were coming up, Mashuga was like this thing that only a certain people knew and it was very niche and it was, you know, bands like that. It mm -hmm. was not really considered a career move. It was more this artistic endeavors and, and I think I'm, Interesting. I'm, all I'm saying is that to me, there was this, there were three bands. It was Meshuggah, you guys, and Dillinger, who were kind of ushering in this new wave of, you know, uh, heavy music that was coming from a different angle. It had great musicianship. It was angular. It was weird. It was bringing in, you know, like you guys were probably the band that had most jazz influence, but I'd say those other bands had more like fusion influence or just like I said, that progressive thing going on whereas now you look at a band like animals as leaders mm -hmm. and that band is playing theaters and mm -hmm. selling a lot of records yeah i think if animals as leaders came out in 2001 i don't know if they have an extended career or something that's considered commercially um you know salient in the way it is well now. if i could just say one thing though um that the earlier music well not so much dillinger or Meshuggah, but i would say and, you know, look, I'm talking about my, my own band, Candiria, but I think one thing Candiria 
didn't have then that they would need now is um, an on top of it rhythmic experience. Um, one thing about where progressive, like you, you mentioned animals as leaders, and I'm not saying that I can't point out specific bands, but there's no denying that animals as leaders is pulling from a lot of the aggressiveness of the emo and the uh, melodic metal, like Darkest Hours and stuff. They're pushing that aggression. You know, they're, they're driving music more. It's Kandiria was a very laid back band. Yeah. And music now drives. It's that, it's that East it's, Coast groove. It can be technical. Yeah, it is. It's got a hip hop value to it. That's the thing about Kandiri. It's 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 hip hop ish, but it's it's street. It's urban. It's 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 halftime. It's it's groove time. Have you heard of this band Fire? But from music the gods? today ain't like that, dude. The last year, I've been working harder, more to bring up blast beats and get more aggressive playing. Hold on a second. I'll, I'll ask you. We'll cut you off real quick. Have you heard the band Fire from the Gods? No. So it's this it's this new band, and they're on Rise Records. And they have this track that blew up, okay. and it's very reminiscent of what doesn't kill you, era Candiria, to me. Which is still a very diverse album. No, what no, song do you think maybe from that album? Are you? Um, it's not even just one song. It's just a vibe, a vocal tone. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. They're v- vocally. They have a uh, a black singer too, so uh-huh. black people just sound like black people. I don't know what to tell you guys, but <laughs> I. <laughs> but I'm not gonna argue. It's with true, that. but anyway, um, no, no, but but I but I think it's it's just evidence of of that. But the other point, besides the progressive thing of being a little too early, the other thing, I think is. Pre and post accident, the biggest difference is that in a lot of ways, the older Candiria songs were like structured in chapters. And it was like, here's this section of the song, and then here's this section of the song. It really moved in this um, kind of linear, exploratory way. Yeah, journeys. Where as what doesn't kill you, which was obviously a big departure. You guys kind of became a quote unquote song band or a traditional song band. I, I you know, I, I don't know. Um, it, how, not, not, but again, not, not in the sense of like forcing it again. Going well, I'm not, by, say, I'm not saying I'm not, I'm not mm-hmm. talking about the process. I'm yeah, just talking yeah, about yeah. the end, the end product. And the thing is, mm-hmm. and I think that's happened. Like, for example, Lamb of God. If you look pre. Like the uh, Ashes of the Wake. Mastodon, too. Yeah, like b- bands. But even Mastodon, what was their their b- uh, big song? Uh, like that that song, um, their first like kind of big hit was still structured in a way that would be considered a, a normal song. But what I'm saying is, is that I don't think that helped, helped you guys. It's all about Braun. I was just watching a Braun video the other day. Oh, he's fucking amazing. Dude, when I do, I I was able to to befriend Braun when when uh, it was us Neurosis and he was playing in Today's the Day. Oh wow! And um, that was a tour. Yeah. Wow, that's sick. Oh, dude, it was amazing. And watching him <laughs> was great. I mean, he's always been a fury on the drums, but he's a he's a player around his kid. And this video is so awesome because it's a Mastodon documentary, but it's focusing on him, and he's talking about you know the way um, he didn't mind in a way simplifying certain aspects of his playing to to focus more on the song as well you know and and i think that's always something that even with candiria too it's like even as complex as maybe we try to make things 
the focus was always on how do we make this resolvable for people to be able to groove to it. Yeah. So I think even as even though three um sorry three hundred even though what doesn't kill you or even kiss the lie at that showed more signs of structure and format, it didn't change the underlying the cause from day one that no matter how complex you get, people have choices in that matter as well. Some complex songwriters like to keep the listener messed up. Mm-hmm. Other complex songwriters still want to resolve in a way that allows you to enjoy the experience. And that was always something big on us. We can disguise the one, we can flip it all over the place, but we had to create pathways that got to a point where it would resolve too and eventually get people to a place where they could be a part of the song again mm-hmm. and not feel like the meandering left them just meandered but actually got them back again you know yeah well i think so that that record what doesn't kill you in a lot of ways i think is a really high point for the band yeah i um, like that album you know I, th- I think it's i it's my favorite just uh, i think it's the most well produced album you ben guys Death did a great job on it and I, like i said there, there was, it was such a, a departure but in a way that it was like wow i think some new and exciting things might ha- happen for this band in a way that maybe weren't possible because of like i said i think there's there was just an a dense a density no pun intended <laughs> <laughs> well the, the... And, 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 and there's an intellectualism and a certain you know just kind of in, in in many ways, because you look at just jazz in general, it is thought about as this kind of hoity-toity smart guy in a in a jacket with uh, you know, those little patches, those suede patches on the on the elbows, smoking but, jacket. Yeah, I, I I think there was that element of of needing a certain level of of um, complexity um, as a as a listener. Mm. You know that that album was just a little more palatable, but. You know, yeah, what, what 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 was the situation where you guys did that? You did some touring, and then Kiss the Lie seemed to kind of come out without with very little fanfare, and then things kind of seemed to dissolve. Oh, dude, yeah, I know it was it was tough because, you know, what doesn't kill you was the basic attempt, like anybody else, to come back from a downtime. In this case, it was a downtime from an accident, though. So it wasn't a matter of people just getting their mental head together. It was a matter of people battling physical ailments. Did Eric Eric had to bounce did, eventually. Did he contribute to the writing of that, though? What Doesn't Kill You? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he absolutely. did. Okay. Yeah, he yeah. just couldn't really do the touring aspect. Well, we started touring. He, you know, our last great tour, if you will, as Candiria was 2004 over the summer with Kitty and 36 oh, yeah. Crazy Fists. And... Um, you know, we had an amazing tour, which that wound up getting cut short a little bit because uh, Kitty Camp had to bail out a little early, too. We never made it out to the West Coast. But long story short, you know, once that summer was over, Eric got himself back home. We did some touring with Shadows Fall, and um, he started feeling it bad in his back and stuff. Just going to cut into our conversation with Ken Shock real quick to talk about a Jabberjaw media show called The Future of What. We all listen to music, but what's happening behind the scenes can be a mystery, even for insiders. Get a look into the recording industry with The Future of What podcast. 
Each week, host and Kill Rockstar's president, Portia Sabin, delves into a topic of interest to music industry professionals and fans alike by discussing important issues with great people who work every day to help artists succeed. Upcoming episodes include conversations with Open Mike Eagle, Top Shelf Records, and a peek at how songs make it onto hit shows like Atlanta. Find the future of what online at killrockstars.com backslash the future of what or on your favorite podcast app. Now back to our conversation with Ken Shulk. So we're going to Joe Rogan this. We're going to bring on, you know, some crazy topics. We're going into the crazy well, we'll see, land or are we just well, going to stay on we, music? We might. It depends on how much time you have. But there's some things I still want to know because, you know, I want to know personally mm-hmm. about. So I'm assuming, mm-hmm. and I could be wrong, that things kind of winded down or wound down with Candiria kind of naturally based on the interest or maybe the financials or is, am I wrong on that? Or is it other things that, cause the band, the band never officially broke up. You know, it, this is the thing about, I said this once I said, I don't know how I worded it, but I was said this many, many years ago that whether Candiria remains a, a, a touring band or not, you know, there'll always be the entity of it and, the musicians, as long as they're around, will always have the potential to have an opportunity to keep making music. Um, I think one thing that I learned over the last couple of years through this, through the latest Candiria incarnation, is that Candiria really is a New York band. Yeah. And one thing I learned about the way that works now, and and I don't mean New York in a specific sense, just in a sense that look, when you're a band, you're a band, you live in a certain place and you all live there and you work together and you live together and you all live and breathe that city together. Um, it's interesting because after the last few years working with uh, Joe Holmes and Rob Trujillo coming post out of that Pharmacos project now Joe Holmes is just, he's still working on music and we're constantly, you know. Well, this every... is Joe Holmes who used to be in Ozzy. Yeah. That's what Ken does now. He, he, he plays with all the motherfuckers. <laughs> well, you played with Trujillo with me, so well, that was fun. Well, through, through you. <laughs> actually, I'll tell the story real, real quick. When I first. Hey, I didn't know Trujillo till MacGyver, though, you know, because the bass players had to unite first. So oh. it was Mike MacGyver and Trujillo, and then through Mike, then, you know, we. That's Rob Trujillo from a little band called Metallica. Just to let you guys know. This is, I'm going to do some humble bragging. Rob what Trujillo it? from uh, Suicidal Tendencies. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So when I first moved to L.A. This Infectious was, Grooves. This was summer 2014. We were jamming for our cover band, Rebel Noise Group. That's right. Which hopefully we can do a gig soon. Please. I'm, that's some fun stuff. We're going to do it. Let's we're going to do it again. Go down a slide bar. OC likes it. Let's do it. Let's do yeah. it. Um, but... I had just moved here. We were jamming for this cover band. And then Ken asked me, hey, would you be down to do some Sabbath songs <laughs> with this band Mass Mental with Rob Trujillo? And luckily... Not just I- Rob Trujillo, but for all you metalheads that don't know any al- other sides of uh, bass playing, Aman Lecho is an amazing African bass player. That's right. Cameroon. He's from Cameroon. Cameroon. <laughs> <laughs> and then also the the full band is actually Benji Webb from Skindred. Mm-hmm. And then the original drummer is Brooks Wackerman, who's now yes, in sir. Avenged Sevenfold. And then we got a DJ, the DJ, C-minus. 
All right. C minus. So we, yes, so we there also, he is. We also had the, uh, the DJ C minus who played with Corn, and then Whit Crane on vocals yeah, yeah. doing the Sabbath tune. Yeah, and then so there's kind of like the extended family of Mass Mental with Whitfield Crane, who's from Ugly Kid Joe and Life of Agony, and then there's another guitar player who's a badass, and and I kind of you know I'm just like the backup, you know what I'm saying? Like I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I'm like the twelfth man on the bench. You when, handle that though. When someone you know I'm Jeremy Lin coming off the bench, you know to get 25 <laughs> in the fourth quarter. <laughs> <laughs> but that was the first gig uh, I did out here, and that was all because of Kenny, and because I had toured with uh, Metallica with Lamb of God, so he, at least he knew who I was and that I actually could play a guitar. That's so, true. That's true. <laughs> so that was that was that was helpful. But 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 yeah. So Kenny's doing all shit like that now. But I want to go before this. Uh huh. So Kendir is w- winding down. Yeah. And then you decide to move to California. Is this before or after you started playing? Actually, here's the story I want to ask about. Didn't you play with the Misfits? Dude, that was amazing. How did you end up playing with the Misfits? So in 2000, we were touring with VOD. And their sound man slash tour manager was uh, Dylan McLaren. Now, Dylan McLaren, I don't know if at the time, whether he was working with Misfits, but he wound up doing some sound man work for the misfits obviously um i think uh i think he's a brother kenny the one of the only relatives <laughs> so weird saying only such a weird last name but um doyle and jerry's it was either another brother or a cousin his name is kenny same name as me he was the actual tour manager but dylan was the sound man for the misfits tour in 2000 so obviously the misfits were going through some strange things and uh chud walked off after the uh tampa bay show and dylan called me and was like bro it's halloween weekend the misfits cannot fail on halloween weekend and i know you're a killer drama bro so he hired me for the weekend to come down and and this uh, was 2001 or this was years later this is 2000. It was the end of October. It was I that did, long ago? I went, it was the end of October 2000. I went down to Florida, met them. I literally had to get off the phone. I went to the city. I went to Tower Records and HMV. I went to both of them, and I picked up all the Misfits CDs I knew. Because first of all, this is no disrespect to the Misfits. You know, I had a really good friend growing up in the metalhead community. His name is Cliff. And he crossed over to the more hardcore punk stuff. So he was always my little go, you know, like my go to resource for at least knowing what that stuff was like. But I mean, look, I was into progressive metal and stuff. So it's not that I hated the Misfits. I just had no interest in getting I've down. I've never with owned them. a Misfits album. Sorry, guys. Yeah, no, it's all good. And but, I, don't, I don't dislike them. I just but never... you know what? Look, I don't deny the fact that all heavy and rock and punk and any kind of good music is good for me. I'm a drummer. We're a little more easier in that realm we don't have to connect ourselves as emotionally to melodies and lyric we can but ultimately we're playing beats so if the beats are great we'll play the gig you know so anyway i go out i buy the albums i need to get this set list going and i start falling in love with them i'm like man these this band is amazing great you know oh my goodness the songs are awesome so i'm just like that's my headspace um just so people could get a perspective a cd walkman not Di- even. Oh, no, no, a disc man. Well, I was going to say a CD Walkman, not. 
This was a cassette Walkman. Oh, you had a you did. I was rocking the cassette Walkman. Um, I wasn't into the CD Walkman. Um, the reason why is because you couldn't really burn CDs yet. I know everybody thinks now nobody even wants to burn CDs. Now it's flash drive, downloaded, uploaded, whatever. It's in the cloud, baby. But at this point, we weren't at a point where you can burn CDs so easily. So tapes were still a pretty good available source for making 90 minutes of music, you know? So basically, I drop down my set list onto cassette. I hop on a plane. I go down to Florida. I meet them. Then from there, we drive to the airport, and we hop on a plane to L.A., and I play the Blood Drive Festival out here. That was my first show. We basically How many flew shows to L.A. Did you do? I did four. We flew to L.A. We jump in a rehearsal studio out here. I don't even know where we were. We, draw, we run through like 15, 16 songs, run out to the place. I think it was in Corona or Pomona run the festival 15 16 songs get out of there jump on a plane back to the east coast and then we do um we do atlanta masquerade we do um what is it state theater in memphis right no state, state theater is in tampa yeah sorry what's the one in memphis that one right there off the highway i famous? probably played there but i don't remember yeah I remember. and then we go to new orleans and do the halloween show at the house of blues at the house of blues baby Right on. Yeah. So I didn't. I, for some reason, so I, thought I got that was to. Way later. I got to jump into the to the greatest weekend <laughs> of the Misfits touring cycle. I yeah. got to do the ultimate weekend on the Misfits. So it wasn't just going out and playing with the Misfits. I got to wear makeup and like be like a monster. <laughs> do you have for pictures? I don't know. I didn't. I didn't do makeup for the other shows. Just on the Halloween show in New Orleans, they were like, they were all like, they sat me down. They were like, come on, man. They're like, we can't force you, but please, come on. We got an aesthetic guy coming. He's going to do everybody's faces all nice. I was like, all right. And that's when they named me Renfield and everything. <laughs> they, they gave me a name. Renfield. That's Renfield, what I, that's no, what no, I Was that the guy from Frankenstein or whatever? I believe Dracula, so. Right? The little uh, yeah. hunchback. Uh-huh. So... Now... Oh, so I, did, I thought that was much later. So now we're going to no, fast forward. So... You also played in the band Fuel. Fuel was an awesome run. That was an now. Awesome how run. did how the hell did did were you already in the, on the West Coast? Were you already yeah. out of? Yeah, I was you, already here. Um, basically, um, a good friend of mine, Eddie Wool, music producer. Yeah, I know Eddie. He, okay, he, yeah. he, he had the Scrap Sixty. Yeah, with exactly uh, with Rob. With Rob. Rob exactly. Cajano. Yeah. So being out here, he's out here as well. So uh, we made, you know, connections together and he actually hired me to do Jada Pinkett's song. Uh, I was doing a new Wicked Wisdom song with them. She wound up getting Pridgen to do the video with her yeah. and retract it. But you actually wrote No, it? I think he retracted too. Okay. Like she got a whole new band to retract it. Pridgen played drums on it. But um, I did the original with um, Pocket and... Um, Actually, it was, um, oh boy, um, uh, Rio was playing bass yeah. at the time. So it was us three. I just three. smoked a pocket. Oh, really? Yeah, he's yeah. in San Fran. Man, that dude smoked me out all day. I didn't <laughs> think I'd have it for the dub. There's this massive double bass part at the end of the track. And uh, Caggiano at the end, he was like, no, you got to run this. And I pulled the shit out of my ass to fucking knock that out. But, you know, it was one of those things where... It was a great experience hanging with Pocket and Rio for the day, and we just banged out the song. It sounded great. Eddie produced it like a champ. And um, that was at least my my West Coast kind of lock-in with Eddie. 
And then um, he started working with Brett from Fuel. Brett wasn't in Fuel anymore, but he started working on some stuff with um, Sean. You know Sean? Uh, I forgot his last name. From the band Smile Empty Soul. I, don't, I mean, I know the band. But okay. I don't know, I don't so they were working on a, a little side project that they were actually going to make this the new Jada Pinkett album, but they wound up calling it um, World Fire Brigade. And I tracked the drums for that. And um, from that, like uh, about a year after that, Brett was like, you know what, I'm going to put Fuel back together. And he did. And he asked me to come out with him and, and do it. So and how long did, how long did you play with Fuel? So we did 2000. We did a we did two weeks on the East Coast in 2009, and then all of 2010, 2011, and 2012 we toured for three years. Wrote a record, um, which tracked the record in 2000, early 2013, I think, or maybe 2012, and then um, toured all the way through 12. They finally got the record done and out in like 14, I think. At that point, they had a new drummer. So, but um, yeah, it was an awesome three years to tour with those guys. Brad Stewart was on bass. First was Yogi Lonich, and then uh, Jason O'Neill um, from, um, ah, what's the band's name? That Florida band that Brad and Jason were in. Um, Come on, name me a Jacksonville band, not not Jackson. Limp Biscuit. <laughs> oh, Creed? No. Um, Leonard Skinner? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the classic. Oh my goodness, I can't believe I can't get their name right now. Shoot. Anyway, and then after that, um, Andy Anderson, who's a good friend of mine, and now and he was great. He's such a great guitarist, Andy. So, in in many ways. I felt like being coming out of the hardcore scene, mm -hmm. you guys just seemed to be almost overqualified. Like, like there was a level. Of, I wouldn't say overqualified. Here's here's what I what I inappropriate. What, here's what I here's what I mean by that. I'm I mean, the hardcore scene was not known for having professional level musicians. Um, as far as I was concerned, in the general sense yeah. of the hardcore scene, just, it was about solid hardcore playing. It was it was more about the but community. But you can't do you know who Kiss the Sky is? Yeah, or Coalesce, you know, Converge. There were bands that were. Yeah, I'm not trying to be. You know, I'm not condescending. Upon no, you no, right no, now. no, 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 no. I'm. But you know what I'm saying? Like, listen, can you call that hardcore though? That's what I'm saying. Were we really hardcore? We were using hardcore as an influence, I'm, but we weren't hardcore. I'm, I'm not using the term in terms of musical genre. I'm using. We it could term, get a pit going. I'm up. using it ter shit. in terms of the scene in which we were surrounded. The mm -hmm. like-minded bands, yes. okay. the peers, the group of bands. All, the only reason I'm, I'm, I'm the reason I think I'm, that I, hold on, hold on, hold okay, on. Okay, sorry. The, the reason, the yeah. reason why, I'm, why I'm making that point is just to say that, in many ways, if if I were you guys, mm -hmm. you know how you said before, you're like, oh, we thought we were better than Fear Factory. No, no, no. No, I thought we were doing something more innovative, original. Okay, okay. But, but we weren't really. Actually, we weren't doing what we were supposed to do, but which what is I, serving I, the audience. But with, all right. But the reason why I'm bringing that up is to say that. In many ways, I could see you guys looking around, mm. and even though everything that I associated with Candiria was was one hundred percent artistry and expression and pure and all that, it's like I was surprised that someone like Ken Shaw could play in a band like Fuel. Mm. But in many ways, it was like, 
of course he would play in a band like Fuel because you're of that caliber as a musician that you sh- you're the exactly the type of person to me that should be getting high name, well paying professional gigs. And to me, I don't think you can def- you can say that for much of the talent level, just purely on a musicianship, musician, or as you say, a player, right? Because there's the musician and there's the player. From just being a player, being able to step in and, and, and do that stuff. So it was kind of this, this thing that functioned for me on one level, but it was also like, oh, that's interesting. Whereas like, did something in your mentality about understanding, hey, I have the skill set, and if I don't utilize this as a profession, as a professional to, you know, make a living or or exert myself in this way that I'm kind of wasting my my ability. It's interesting in the, you know, going back to the social media thing. A lot of the interaction that took place in that 2010 touring cycle was the transition of a lot of the Candiria friends and fans getting to familiarize the fact that I'm playing in Fuel now. And a lot of the questions were all based around that. How can you play in fuel after playing in Candiria? And my response was, you know, whether the words changed a little here and there, the intent of the response was always the same. It's it's pretty much the same experience. It's it's actually even better now for me. One of the things that made Candiria an amazing experience is that it was a dynamic experience. I'm a dynamic player, so even though Candiria, for the most part, was a hard-driving, high-energy, heavy metal show, there was a lot of dynamic within it. But it also a lot of fit, diversity. But it also, I think, the, the, a lot it, of complexity. As long as there's multiple elements involved in the night, you could get me on stage. Believe it or not. Now, here's the thing: if you're gonna stick me on stage and make me play the same song over and over again. I'm going to get really bored. That's what made the Misfits gig amazing. Like, that's a one diverse band. It's not just a thrashy punk band. I mean, these dudes were like 1950s doo-wop in, 19, in late 70s punk rock fashion. So, yeah. you know, it, it's real songs. It was fun to play that. And the same thing with Fuel. It was like I would play a song like Empty Spaces, which could be the dynamic equivalent of playing a Candiria song. Yet I do a song... Like, you know, um, uh, well, we would have this moment in the set at times where we do an acoustic little run and we do like three songs in a row with acoustic guitar. So I'm forced to pull out lighter drumsticks and play a little lighter. You know, a song like Bad Day is like a, you know, it's kind of ballady type of song. So you got Bad Day compared to Empty Spaces compared to Last Time compared to even Hemorrhage. Hemorrhage is a mix of like, you know, really laying out a heavy, driving, hard, slow beat and I'm not playing at all. So it's a wonderful experience. You know, I think a lot of people don't realize like I'll use like the other night I was watching some Earth, Wind and Fire footage and it was a Sonny Emery. He's the drummer at the time and he's the drum solo. He's going for it. I'm like, there's nobody on stage. What do you think they're doing right now? At least two or four of them are out taking a piss. You know, maybe somebody's even taking a shit right now. Somebody's trying to get laid real quick. You know, somebody's having a drink. Somebody's just taking a breath and catching their breath because somebody's drinking some water because they sang a lot and they're maybe not so well that night. That drum solo is a lot more than just that drummer drumming. 
that's a moment for a lot more other people. You know, one thing I learned in the difference between being on tour with a support band like Candiria and being on a headlining band that does a full set is it's like, hey, it's not important to be playing or doing something all the time. This is a show where everybody in the band is kind of going to have their moment. It's going to they're going to have a moment to relax as well and pull away and not be seen even. You know, I like that about there was a point in every fuel show at least two or three times where I'd jump off the riser and hang out with my drum tech and have a beer or take a hit from the bowl and <laughs> be away from the audience, not because I don't love the audience, <clears throat> but because I would be in the way. It's a show, and if Brett is in the front of the stage talking, people don't need me like just sitting around behind a drum set, you know, just sitting there doing nothing. That's dumb. Get off the fucking drum riser and be invisible. You know, let the man in the front be seen. You know, I've done gigs with people even locally at the Viper Room where I'm like, yo, I'll wear all black to make sure you stand out, you know? I'm still going to beat the shit out of the drums and people are going to want to know what that octopus thing behind the drums is. But at least I'll be in black so I won't be seen so much, you know, like, yeah, it's like, look, this is a, this is a job. It's an art form. But art, like I said in the beginning of this, is is a perception. It's a mindset. It's yeah. it's an execution method. So, you know, you know how to find your artistry within whatever you're doing. Sure, because I've become a selfless servant. See, I think the the problem is, are you artsy or are you an artist? If you're artsy, then you're all wrapped up in your own ideas. But if you're an artist and you're a commercial artist and you're actually going out with the intent to make sure your client is getting what they hired you for, then you're not thinking about what you want to do. You're thinking about what your talents are able to do for someone else. Yeah. And that's the difference. And and I think that there's nothing wrong with wanting to do your own thing. Just don't expect anyone to like it. <laughs> and if they do, that's awesome. But you can't self-please with the expectations of some kind of outside acceptance. Yeah. That's that's just hypocritical. You know, I knew, like I said, when Mike Barilli said that thing to me about where the scientist who's trying to explain our in-depth analysis to simple-minded people, it don't work. Yeah. Well, there, well, And that's a bank back to the Fear Factory yeah. thing. In 1993, what Candiria was working on was pretty innovative. Yeah. It was what yielded the subliminal demo. It's still innovative. But it was not Fear Factory. Fear Factory, that first Fear Factory song that came out... I'm I'm like still hearing it Skate in my code. head. What you know, master, whatever you know. Remember that that lyric? I'm not getting it all out, but <laughs> shit, dude, that's 1993. Yeah, it's 24 years ago, and I'm and I'm able to at least get it. Well, they still have a career, you know, and they're still doing stuff too. Yeah. And you know, they still have a longevity. They have a legend status. You know, yeah. they put themselves into the death metal scene and not, and not just that dude look i ain't afraid to say this man we're from new york all right fear factory's not we're from new york we had this selfish stigma 
about Roadrunner Records. There were a lot of artists in New York that were like the whole fuck Roadrunner thing. Yeah, but VOD was Roadrunner, Madball was Roadrunner, Listen, Earth Crisis. Listen, it's like the same thing Candiria did with Century Media, man. Life of Agony, we shouldn't typo. have been fuck Roadrunner. We shouldn't have been fuck We should have been like, yo, sign with that shit because they'll give yeah. us money and they'll put us on the yeah. fucking road and we didn't. By the way, I just named like six <laughs> New York Roadrunner I know, dude. That's what I'm saying, though, is like... There was this stigma. Did they want though. to sign you? There was some minor interest from Monty and Mike Gitter. They were they were definitely feeling the vibes, but we had this animosity towards Roadrunner. I forgot all the details. Just like an elitist, it. elitist, like well, like we're too we're too, you know, in our own realm for this. I don't know if it was us thinking we're too good for them or us thinking that Roadrunner was an enslavement label yeah well ba- i think back then though they really did sign bands for like eight records and right like that's that. what i'm saying we had this like conception about them like this this idea like this is not the label we want to be with they just slave you in yeah and we don't want to get locked in like that well, you know we were still developing yeah. and it, it's it's enticing when you're a young band of course now it's not the same but back then it was like you'd do anything for a label to show this any sign of interest well that was you. i think and I've had lots of Roadrunner artists on this label. I had the I've had Mike Gitter on this show, mm-hmm. and that was a label at that time that really had power to 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 do things for your career. Mm-hmm. But they you had, did, and we I think we were foolish for not yeah. taking them up. I think we could have gotten a deal and done something. It would have been interesting. Woulda, coulda, shoulda. But exactly. right, so you have to go in a, in a couple minutes. So I just want to. There's one more thing I want to I want to know before uh-huh. before you go. Yeah. And I think the listeners want want to know. Uh-huh. Candiria has a new record. Yeah. Um, that you're not on. Correct. Well, I'm on two songs. You. But I really wouldn't say I'm on those two songs either because the sound replacement is and the gridding yeah. is so pathetic. Uh, uh, oh man, it's, right. it stinks to say things like that. Yeah. So you were involved with the writing of this record to a certain some degree or no 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 why did you play well with broken bones the music is pretty much close it's pretty much the same as what it was when we wrote it um but the song that they call one of you will betray me is a song that i wrote i wrote the entire song all the guitar parts and everything and it's not there now they my song is it. gone. They wrote a completely new song over my drums. Yeah. And um, all the other songs are their songs. The songs we were working on before the Metal Blade signing were different songs as well. So none of the songs you hear on the album are even song starters that we were working on as a band yeah so so you were part of the process at the beginning but through the evolution of it very little of ken shaw well now going back to the joe holmes conversation you know in transition from the pharmacos project to what joe holmes is working on now his singer robbie lives on the east coast in the south and the experience that is happening with robbie is the same frustrating experience that was taking place with me in Candiria is that when you're a band and you want to create within your local environment, that means everybody who's in the band has to be local. Yeah. You know, I think the main most like intense reason why it just couldn't work out between Candiria and I in this next stage of their career is that. Because I am in L.A., I have a family, and they can't provide a career salary for me to move to New York. Yeah. 
I love my mom and dad. I love my brother and his wife and child. And it would be nice to be with family on a regular basis. But I don't live in New York anymore. Yeah. And back in the summer of 2015, when they were contemplating the whole how do we do this aspect of recording an album, they were proposing to me ideas like, you know, come to New York for a few weeks and we'll work on the music and then you'll come back for a few weeks again. And I'm just like, guys, are you crazy? Just for a few weeks, sure, just like that. It, that's yeah. just not going to happen. Not with your family situation. Yeah, because then you weigh in so many variables. It's like, don't you realize how much money has to be made yeah. in three weeks, four weeks time? You can't pay yeah. me that. I could do and that. It, and I wasn't telling them in a way like, you must pay me. Yeah. It was like, look, we're not in that position. You're just being reasonable. Yeah, being I was realistic. like, this is not going to happen. So then the next attempt was, what if you guys worked on the music and then, hey, look. I'll come in as the professional I am. I'll spend two weeks in New York and we'll bang out drum tracks for two weeks. It's not something I can't do. But they didn't want that. They, they wanted, wanted to develop songs yeah. and really have a drummer along the ride with them. And, you know, Danny had already been working with them for all the other stuff, you know. Um, so so how do you – have you listened to the new Candy record? I have, yeah. And what – do you like it? Do you not like it? I mean, is that, Man, is you're that too much to you going to ask me questions say? like that? Yeah. I'm you a, want the truth? I want, if you want to tell me. I think that Carly is the big progression of the album, you know? And and without trying to get too long-winded on this, I could go back to conversations before there was a Mike and a John in the band where we always, like, either teased or hinted to Carly that eventually you're going to sing again. Carly sang before Candiria. Yeah. So he, it was only he, a matter of time before he'd sing again. Yo, can I need to tell you something? He black. All black people sing. All right, bro. These are things I know. <laughs> I grew up on black music, bro. You kidding me? I know you. You're like, like I said, you're. Can, so Earth, can, wind, and fire is like, and it's not just Earth, wind, and fire. I mean, I grew up. I'm, it's and it, this isn't some like, like, hey, black people, I'm cool. Be cool with me. Yeah. It ain't that that Gary. What was his name? <laughs> Larry, 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 what? Larry, Larry, Larry. Um. Fuck. Curb oh. your enthusiasm. Oh, oh. oh Remember? Oh, hey, yeah. we cool to lie, right? I thought we were cool to lie. <laughs> <laughs> that fucking one You got episode. some long balls, Larry. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, it's like, look, the exposure I had growing up was very soulful, very Motown driven. Yeah. I grew up on that. But. Well, long... well look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of real quick on you. Yeah, yeah. So my dad, white, white man, um, <laughs> who, who kind of imbued himself in black culture mm -hmm. without appropriating it. And and and, and by that, and I think that's a difficult uh, thing for people to kind of understand mm. um, because they think because you like a certain music or a certain history, that's, I think that's the, the other mm. thing is the kind of the historical injustice element and, and um, putting yourself in that on a real level. My father's an educator, he, he, yeah. he studied. Um, he you went told to me that, for, yeah. yeah. And you know, jazz musician. Um, these Here's two things. Here's two things that. No, but I'm saying, but you're you're very much similar to that with someone who, who identifies with black culture and black art in a way that I don't think most people do not have the depth of understanding well, and well, nuance to I, understand I what that is. Well, let me just say these two things. I had two very profound experiences in my life that led me to 
um, I guess at least self believe inside me that my spirit is is cultured in a worldly sense, rhythmically. And so this one time I was coming home from work in the city and I walk. I, I used to like walking over the Brooklyn Bridge. I, I worked near lower Manhattan, so walking over the bridge was no hassle. And I walked so far all the way down to Atlantic Avenue in Brooklyn. And as I'm walking up Atlantic Avenue, there's this small little African shop. And I walk inside and they got some djembe drums in there. And I get down with three other brothers in this shop <laughs> and we do this four man djembe drum jam for about 20 minutes. And the camaraderie and the rhythmic transcendence that took place in there was of that type of tribal nature. Like mm -hmm. these are, it's not about being African, it's about being earthly. It's about knowing that your human existence is thousands upon thousands of years old. It's not yesterday and today. It's thousands of years old. It's millennia. And when you can touch base with that in what you do, you can do things that you don't even know you have the ability to do. Yeah. So that happened. And then jamming with this African guitarist, we were just jamming. And at the end of the jam, he looked at me, he goes, brother, you're African. <laughs> he said that to me <laughs> and I laughed, but- Well, technically we're all Africans. As, as humble as I could be in my own way, I accepted that as like him saying that, back to that millennial thing, you're not, you're not a present human being. You, you exist with the thousands of years of culture that exists within us. You don't try to just grab from the now. You exist in the now through thousands of years of prior existence. You encompass it all. That's what I looked at his, his remark as. So, Not so as like, hey, look, you should be black. You know, It wasn't about that. You should be African. It was like what he was saying was like, bro, you're in touch with the transcendence of, yeah. of life energy. So my, my father, my, my Caucasian, Irish, mm -hmm. Polish father. Was in touch with yeah. the transcendence well, no, but of he, life energy. He would literally say this about, like if God forbid had like a, a subpar show, he said this, he would like, yeah, Corey, Corey, our black drummer, this is my, my white father <laughs> said, man, he was just sounding white today. Corey sounds white at times. Corey, I love you. Corey, you're an amazing drummer. I always love watching you play. But I think that uh, your drumming was a little more fate's warning than it was James Brown. I would say that. Those <laughs> fighting words. Don't, don't beat me up, Corey. You beef. You got some bulk in you, man. Don't sit on me. All right. Don't I, kung fu panda my ass. Honestly, I think that's a good good time to wrap it, man. Uh, we're gonna have Corey on here, and he Yo, can. Corey uh, is the bomb. He can he can re retort you. I was supposed to have him uh, when I was in New York. Corey um, was the one who called me out on my fake ghost notes. You had fake he ghost was, notes. Well, he was he was like I, I he goes I think you're doing a lot of them ghost notes just to fill up the space. Just to get to your next snare drum hit. I don't think you really mean to hit those ghosts. <laughs> and I said to him, I said, you know, Corey, I think you're kind of right in that respect. I was like, certain times I'm ghosting for the sake of like bringing the flavor. But other times it's happening more subconsciously because I don't want to sit there all white and wait. Yeah. You know? Not to be all black and white, but it's like groove drummers... <laughs> They want to finesse that snare well, drum hand. That, that's the jazz. That's also like that's that the snare human. riding underneath. It's yeah. it's the pulse underneath. I love it. The I big hits. It. Yeah. All right. So 
We got some motherfucker who is definitely sounding white in the background. <laughs> Yo, the room next door is white. <laughs> and white people listening to this, please take no offense. This is um, this is all in jest. Well, yo, I love you, man. Thanks so much for coming on. Dude, I love you too, man. RNG, hey, we got to do one again. We're going to do it. Yeah, podcast 217.
That was a song called Mathematics by Candiria from their album, The Process of Self-Development. I wanted to play some classic Candiria because there's, there's so many kind of different iterations of the band and different personalities they wore. And they have a new record out on Metal Blade called While They Were Sleeping. It's really great. I saw them with the new lineup. And even though Ken's not in the band, and I know there's some mixed feelings there, I I always support those guys, and you should definitely check it out. They're going to be on Warp Tour, actually, all summer. So support them. Thank you for supporting the X-Men. I know this, this is probably the longest show I've done, but that's all right. Sometimes it's got to be long. It's okay. It's okay. We got, Sometimes we got to get deep. Um, if you want to sponsor the show, just reach out to me on social media. All my stuff is at .coil, and that's Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Send me a message. I will direct message you back. Uh, some bands have sponsored the show. I'll play a song. If you have a product, dildos, um, torture devices, doomsday bunkers, these are the things my listeners care about. So please hit me up. What do you, whatever you got, all right? I need money, all right? That's all I do this for. Try and get paid, son. You know what I'm saying? Can't podcast for free. It's like, I do it because I love it. That has been this episode of the X-Men. Thank you guys for listening. Mamba out. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenge Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians. Everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks With Johnny, streaming everywhere now.